At last count, there are 2.4 million podcasts just like mine, each trying to be heard. I'm guessing whatever business you might be in, you aren't alone in it either. And that's where positioning and messaging experts come in. Let's have ourselves a pocket-sized pep talk because today's guest is an expert in the field and he's here to help you stand out in a crowd. A pocket-sized pep talk podcast that can help energize your business and your life with a quick, inspiring message. Now, here's your host, Rob Jollis. Today's guest, Brendan Dell, is a positioning and messaging expert to top technology brands with clients including Expedia, ADP, HP, YC, and many others. His book, The 12 Immutable Laws of High-Impact Messaging, shares rules for standing out in a crowded market. And that's why I wanted him on the show, because we could all use some help there. Glad to have you with us, Brendan, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, let's mix it up. It's a pleasure to have you here. <laughs> let's dive on in. And I want to start with your with your particular niche, because it is a little bit unusual. Sure. Uh, you know, with books and stuff, we don't find them, they tend to find us. How did this topic and this book and and space of yours how did it find you yeah so i actually started uh, my career in real estate and i worked for a tenant rep company in la and when you're early in real estate your job is basically to go get business and so what these folks told me to do uh, was to go cold calling and to them that meant walking up and down office buildings on the west side of la Oof. which really translates into getting thrown out of office buildings on the west side of la because you're not supposed to walk around those buildings so I spent like the better part of a you know a year crawling in and out of buildings, getting thrown out and getting nowhere. And that's like the, you know, the the there's gotta be a wetter way moment. <laughs> and then I stumbled across this book um on copywriting. And I set about to figure out, you know, how to do this. I read a bunch of books and I wrote two direct mail pieces and I sent these things out. Uh, they ended up landing. I don't remember the exact number now. It was like 50 or $60 million in business for this team of which I earned very, very little money, just full disclosure. But I was like, whoa, this, this works. Like this is a way, you know, if you can figure out how to message in a way that's different and breaks through the noise, this is a superpower. And so I just, um, that actually one of the clients that came out of that was a technology company um, that brought me in and said, how can you help us do something like this? And um, that that set off the whole practice from there. You know, it's wild. I, I don't talk about this often, but just how kind of fate steps in. I, I was a New York life agent. And by the way, I was the guy doing the same thing you did only with us. Uh, we went in pairs just so just so you wouldn't run out of the building. You had somebody else kind of, you had to kind of lean on each other. But I was actually uh, waiting for management in a Monday morning training class with 22 apprentice field underwriters. The phone rang and it turned out that management, uh, the manager, the trainer, the senior manager, they had gone out for an early breakfast and they got double parked behind them. They couldn't get out. And so I happened to pick up the phone and they said, whatever you can do, do anything. Don't tell them that we're stuck. Just do something in front of the room. So I had learned a sales pitch called the live, die, quit story. And I had some acting experience and I went, 
I've started teaching it sort of, okay, we're going to do these pieces where you're going to punch it, where you're going to pull back, where you're going to pause. And uh, they came in and they went great job. And, and I, let me finish. And I was smiling because I thought, I know where I'm, I know what I'm going to do now. I, I, <laughs> I like this as a, as a frustrated actor. I like the feel of being in front of this room in a corporate environment and performing. So again, just a, just a, a random phone call in a sense, but sometimes you think, you know, that's fate. It just sort of steps in. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Serendipity for sure. Yeah. I applaud the fact that, uh, you know, you got out there and you, you banged on doors. I wish companies would understand that uh, there's many ways to prospect cold calling being one of them. I'm not saying it's terrible, but my dad was a salesman and he told me one time, he said, you know, cold calling is like shaving. Do a little bit of it each day. And, and to me, that's somewhat logical that's to say, let's go out there and just bang our heads into a wall for the next three or four hours. That's not logical to me, but all right. We've done, well, uh, we've, I, I think you got to take stuff in context too, right? Yeah. Because these folks were coming out of, okay, when you think about real estate 30 years yeah. ago, yeah. there was no Redfin, there was no internet, there was, you know, well, you know, 30 years ago now. Yeah, there, there wasn't any of that stuff. And how did you get your information? You had listings come out via paper that you had to go pick up uh, to, to see what was coming out. Or you had to go physically speak to somebody either in person or on the phone because that, that was how you were going to reach somebody. So it, the context for them was they were, they were looking at, and you know, this is part of what, what messaging does as well as gets people to think about things differently is they were taking something that for them was effective and they'd seen it as this is the way it's always been done. So it must be the way that it should be done. And they didn't realize that actually the world had shifted, right? And like things that things cannot be done in the same way they were 30 or 40 years ago because the world looks very, very different. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Well, I'm dragging you into my sales world. Let's drag, let's drag you back into your world and talk about messaging. Uh, okay. It, it was hard enough before COVID, uh, but now how, tell me about how companies should position themselves I mean, you know, and, and I, I say this in a positive way, post COVID, or at least managing COVID, whatever we want to call the stage we're in now, how, what's your recommendation to companies in terms of how they should position themselves? Sure. So th this is sort of, it's a, it's a big question, but if, if I'm going to boil it down, I'll, I'll say this, what you did is actually just the first part of effective messaging, which is you just position a world that's different, right? You just said to me, it was hard enough to get heard before COVID. And now after COVID, it's 10 times harder. We live in this new world where there's new things that are required to be successful. And if you want to be successful, what are these th new things that are required? And so in every industry, all the time, there are big changes that have happened or are happening that are shifting the way in which we need to perceive or the, the, shifting the way in which we need to behave to be successful. And so messaging against those changes are is step one. And I'll, I'll give you an example to, to uh, make this clear. So one example of something that I uh, uh, saw a company do recently is there's a company called Grin that's an influencer marketing platform. And what you could do is think of, so that, that's clear enough, right? Influencer marketing platform, it helps brands connect to, to influencers in their particular niche. And there's, of course, many of these companies out there. One way that, that Grin could message is they could say, hey, we're the influencer marketing platform with the most uh, influencers, or we're the easiest to use, right? Or some other benefit like that. 
because what you're trying to do ultimately in all of this is is be famous for an idea positioning is ultimately about like what's the recall what do people know you for and there's a lot of research that people basically choose the company that they can recall the easiest but what Grin did is say, no, we have now entered the creator economy. It's no, we no longer look to the media, to, to the news to give us information. We now turn to creators. And if you are going to be successful in this new world, you need to learn how to put an influencer marketing um, campaign in place. And they've created this imperative and change. And so this is setting them apart from all the other companies out there that are trying to come up with Me Too messaging. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because you talk about messaging, uh, you know, and, and trying to stand out. I, I'm, I'm listening to you just going, because um, I was focusing on COVID and, and I'm listening to your answer and listening. I'm going, well, where's the COVID part? And maybe there isn't a COVID part. You know what I mean? I, 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 for instance, real fast, but when I just started doing virtual seminars, I would lead with pretty much, and I did, you know, hundreds of them and I would lead pretty much with the same thing. I'd say, you know, when I'm live, I tend to show up with a jacket on. So I'm wearing my jacket. I, when I'm live, I typically have a cup of coffee. Look at me. I have coffee. Uh, you know, uh, why do we have to, what's the big change here? Other than the fact, obviously I'm muting an audience. And so, uh, quite frankly, it didn't work so well, but I, I worked with a little laugh box I created off an app. And, uh, and I said, you know, when I, when, when something funny happens, uh, I'll hit the button. So we'll have that noise too. But in the end, I didn't, I didn't, I was trying to, to make the point at least deliver as why does there need to be a difference other than we're physically not there. So I'm pushing back on the question a little bit of, um, is there a difference or, or is it just COVID-19 and we push forward? So when I say that that you that that you bring up the COVID issue, what I mean more is that you identified a change that's that's mm -hmm. influencing, that's changing people's behaviors, and that is creating a set of stakes and imperatives for companies to understand this new world and to compete well in the new game they need to play. So post COVID nineteen, we absolutely so. And again, th this is just one example of how you might highlight a shift. A very famous example of a brand that did this is a subscription company called Zora. That's um, a, a multi-billion dollar company that a gentleman by the name of Andy Raskin actually um, wrote a, a blog that's a very, like a, a viral blog called uh, The Best Sales Pitch I've Ever Seen, I think it was, it was called. And he, they, Zora leads with, we now live in a subscription economy. Very different than saying we're the best subscription platform uh, you know, and comparing themselves against others. They're creating an imperative where they are the only one who can uh, fulfill on this promise. And so if that's not clear, let me know and I can expand. But when I say COVID, what I mean is just you identified a change that makes an imperative for somebody to rethink what they're doing. And that's why mess. And that's what you need to do with messaging is create these stakes where people need to rethink the way in which they're doing the thing that they're doing. Okay. I got it now. All right. Yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't get it the first time. I got it the second time. A little <laughs> slight. I, I actually came back from Europe about uh, three days ago 
and and I'm Very I'm nice. a little foggy, but uh, work with me, work with me, Brandon. Work I'm I'm, me. I'm working with you. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're working on it together. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, to me, uh, you know, one of the scariest things in business. Have you ever heard of the four levels of conscious behavior where you can be unconsciously incompetent? consciously incompetent consciously competent unconsciously competent it's the four ways that we can kind of mentally live in in a sense and and for me of course one of the scariest parts is being an unconscious incompetent because you don't know what you don't know so how does a company um that may very well be unconsciously incompetent in other words they don't know that they don't know how do they determine when their positioning is off i'm 30 years in business I, I, that nobody came up with a sign that said my positioning's off. How would how do we determine that? So, when you're having conversations with customers, do they come with you with a clear understanding of what it is you do and why you're different? Uh, are you constantly getting into price quest- conversations about can you do the same thing for less? Uh, when you pitch to them, do they not have clarity around what you do? Um, those are all signs that you do not have effective positioning. Ultimately, what you're trying to do, it's it's Lyft versus Uber. Uh, you're trying to contextualize value and create a relationship with people so that they choose, they believe you are the only one suited to serve their problems, right? And so if you're getting commoditized, your positioning is not as effective as it could be. Huh. That's a very simple answer. You know, it's it. No, it's true. Uh, I, I think, unfortunately, many companies don't know what strengths to draw companies to. Um, they're not clear on their own messaging. And and, and I say that in terms of, uh, you know, I, I wrote a piece once called, you know, um, I forgot the exact title was basically dealing with the sea of sameness. You know, yeah. even, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Brandon, you have a, 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 a podcast. I have a podcast. Mm-hmm. Like I said, there's. 2.4 million other knuckleheads with podcasts. And yep. so in a sense, we're in a sea of sameness. And yet mm-hmm. uh, we're looking to do things that are a little bit different. Um, you know, that's, so, you know, so, but that's the challenge uh, for a lot of companies. We don't know when our, when our position, when our marketing is off, but I liked your response because you're absolutely right. The sales guy in me says, when I get hit on price, well, it's just a lack of urgency. Um, but maybe I'm getting hit on price because I'm in a sea of sameness. And you know, price is I, a function you know, of value, right? And right. so, if people believe you're uniquely qualified to serve, to to solve a problem, it, and this is the real world. It's not that you never, you know, e- e- even uh, you know Tony Robbins discounts his tickets, right? But the, <laughs> yeah, but you, what you will do is you will find. I'll, I'll use another uh, example from the B2B software space when I where I operate. There's a company called Gong that does call recording. Uh, that that and they pioneered basically what they do is they allow you as a sales leader to understand what separates your high performers from your low performers. You understand how much an individual rep is talking, what kind of language they're using when they bring up price, and you can coach your reps up based on this call intelligence. Now, if you're in that space. Most people simply believe that Gong is the category leader there. When they come into Gong, they already they know what they're getting. They don't compare them against alternatives. And they generally simply want to purchase Gong, even though there's a bunch of other people that do this. You want to be the person that people come inbound to already believing they need you. Mm. There's a thing 
that's well-documented in psychology called anchoring bias. And it basically says that once somebody has changed their mind, or excuse me, once somebody has arrived at a conclusion, that even in the face of overwhelming evidence, uh, conflicting evidence, people will not change their minds. And we can see this all over the place in our society, right? With politics and whatever. So if somebody has, through the process of educating themselves about possible solutions, created a mental position or framework for themselves that you are the person who can solve their problem, price will, ma- will not matter. All of these other you know, factors will not matter because they've already made that decision for themselves. And even when presented with overwhelming evidence to the contrary, uh, it's very difficult to change their mind. So that's why the second, I mean, you, you, you're in sales, you're well aware of all the stats that say, uh, you know, how the first company to help a customer is most likely to win that customer and all those sorts of things, right? right? Um, all that enters into it. Yeah. Well, not only am I in sales, but I actually wrote a book called How to Change Minds. So there you um, go. I'm, I'm on top of that topic. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's really interesting when you get into the political part of this, because I was asked by my publisher once, can you, this was when, when the first uh, Trump election, and um, could you write an article about that? And it, it was challenging. You know, how do you change somebody's political mind? Because uh, as you say, they're just so dug in. But um, I, I offer this back to you. And, sure. and truly, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on changing pol- political minds. But the one thing that I did come up with, and and I don't necessarily apply this to business as much as to some of these other areas like this, is okay. Uh, you want to sit down and change somebody's mind uh, and their politics. One rule, and that is, you have to sit down and be willing to have your mind changed. And that's unfortunately where the problem lies. I come in, I go, all right, I'm going to change Brandon's mind, um, but I have no intention of changing my mind. I'm going to steamroll your mind. And no wonder we're just battling each other. But if you and I sat down and let's make ourselves rational for a moment and really went in with the condition of, I'm, I'm not only going to listen to you, I am willing to have my mind changed. Put me on a lie detector. The needles aren't moving. I am telling you the truth. We could get somewhere, but it's unfortunately that's, that's a tough position right now to be in. Yeah. When you just identified another important consideration for people who are trying to, to sort of contextualize how, how to message for themselves and why this is so important. And that, and that is that human beings are not particularly rational in general. They, they are overwhelmingly emotional creatures and the most effective messaging is going to appeal to people on an emotional level it is not going to appeal to people on an irrational level. And this is, you know, B2B is the space that I overwhelmingly work in. And this is a conversation that you have many times where uh, people will say, well, this is B2B. It's different. We have to appeal to people on a rational level on how they're going to improve their jobs. There was uh, some folks named, I think it was uh, the last name, Les and Benet, I believe. And they did a study called the long and the short of it. And it was what makes people buy Um, they did a consumer study and they did a business study and which advertising is most effective overwhelmingly in both categories, emotional advertising produced higher outcomes than rational advertising. So even though we like to think of ourselves as rational, we generally are not. That's interesting. Uh, You know, because if you study Myers-Briggs and and DISC and, you know, all the personality models, 
what you're saying makes sense because I, I first while you were saying I was like oh yeah well what about analytical people um, but then I thought well oh yeah but what percentage of people are analytical um, it's a percentage it's not an overwhelming percentage it's you know it's they're out there uh, I, yeah. you know you know I don't see a whole lot of them but they're out there uh, well th yeah. this is an, an example of so there are analytical people but even those people tend to anchor to their own biases hmm. and you can see this in the medical profession a lot where if somebody believes like uh, in a particular um modality of treatment, for example, and treat, and then research comes out that has conflicting evidence that says, actually, it's a different way. You'll see big pushback in the medical community that says, oh no, this study must be wrong, right? <laughs> right? They, they indict the study. And you know, there's of course differences in study design, but they, um, yeah, you, you will see this uh, across. There's a really good uh, class called Your Irrational Mind, which is by a Harvard professor named Stephen Novella. And he he walks through this in great detail, all of the ways in which we trick ourselves into thinking that we are uh, rational people and are and are overwhelmingly not. Right. And you have you're working on some courses. Is, is this covered in your course? Yeah, actually, we do in my course, Billion Dollar Pitch. Um, that uh, if folks are interested, they can find it on my website, brendandell.com. But uh, we we talk a lot about this, and the course walks through. Um, the not not only essentially one how and why do people buy things and then two what are the elements which are relatively predictable to um create a pitch that's going to be compelling to people and get them to do the thing that you want them to do spend some money right so you got you got the course you got the podcast you got the book yeah yep. you know i you are very clearly messaged <laughs> just, <laughs> you gotta walk the walk i guess okay yeah uh, you know, in in selling, uh, the, and I get this asked of me a lot, like, well, what's the most important thing that you've learned, you know, and as a salesman, as a sales trainer, and um, it's very elementary, and yet it's just pervasive. But you know, people don't naturally, instinctively ask questions and listen. You're in a hmm. person I've met who hasn't heard that that's a pretty good idea. People think they're doing it, but they're not really doing it, and. and I, you know, for years I brought out tape recorders and then I brought out micro cassette recorders and now I have apps I have people load up, but I don't, have, I, I actually have them go ahead and have conversations and you just track it. It's proven. What about your profession? What's, what are a couple things that are, you know, instinctive, hmm. let's say, but not just not logical that we're just off on. That we're just off on. Hmm. Okay. Well, that we're just off on. Yeah. So A, one of the things that companies are often compelled to do is, is look for cuteness to be different or to look for cleverness. And clarity is often a much better strategy, almost overwhelming, just clearly stating what you, you know, who you're for, uh, the problem you solve and how you help is going to be more effective than trying to be cute um, or clever. A second piece of this is people, you know, often, um, overly kindly well you know in kickoff meetings with teams they'll be like okay this is brendan and he's a messaging genius for the following reasons and the reality is is that 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 as much as that feels good it, it's just not the case what you pointed to great messaging is great listening it's going to customers it's knowing it's asking the right questions it's listening to what they say and it's using their own words to craft the messaging 
it's not about some mystical art or some creative stroke of genius that results in some, you know, actually a lot of the campaigns that people know, like the Yokiero Taco Bell campaign yeah. that everybody's familiar with, that guy got fired. That campaign didn't do anything. It was, it was, it was totally ineffective. Uh, um, it, the, the CMO who ran that was, it was fired on, on the back of that whole thing. And so it's memorability is not, what you need it's it's fame around the ability to solve a problem and um yeah yeah so those are the two okay good all right two for me two for you um but but i tell you you know uh, uh, we cross paths a bunch of times and one of them that you hit on which i'm smiling was how many times i have to tell my clients i don't i don't break it down to cuteness or anything like that but from a sales perspective, because we study decision cycles and we mm-hmm. study decision points. So, you know, we are studying the, the prospect and the customer before we just go slamming in sales ideas. And one thing that we see just kind of coming back at you, and I, like I said, I think this is where we crisscross is the fact that companies always seem to want to trumpet the benefits of their solution, which people don't connect with nearly as much as identifying with the problems that they're living with that that mm-hmm. solution may just well take care of, but it's the problem that we identify with, not really the solution. And um, just profess, but I, I, I didn't get the job by the way, but I, I was uh, years ago interviewed. I was still working for Xerox interviewed by um, a brand. It was a very new company um, that was uh, you know selling products on television. And uh, that was kind of a new thing. It was, and uh, they wanted me to uh, work with their on-air talent. And they just wanted to, every time they, they wanted me, when they got phone calls to ask people, you know, well, well, what are you getting the saw for? And, you know, and then how many do you want? And, you know, how pretty is the saw? And I was kept saying, no, I, I want to know what, what, what they're using right now that isn't working and how dangerous that. 25 year old electric saw is that got passed down in the family and uh, and they just couldn't make that connection. I actually lost the kit, lost the client, uh, not exactly naming the client, but I think you can figure out who it is. Uh, but I still sit back and smile and go, I had it right. I just, I just, unfortunately couldn't get them to believe, but I am, I think the good websites maybe, and you're the expert, but to me, again, the good websites are picture are giving you a picture of the problem that you can associate with, not necessarily the solution. Am I, am I on base on this one? So I, an unsatisfactory answer is I think, I think it depends. I think it depends who you're speaking with in the context of um, what, what you're messaging to. Okay. All right. All right. You don't have to agree with everything. How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) Thought that was a layup, but no, that's why we get a guest like Brendan in here. He's telling it like it is. Okay. Coming down the hot, the, the, the home. oh, where's our time going? <laughs> Let's move yeah. you on. No, I, I'm thoroughly, by the way, thoroughly enjoying this conversation because I am, I am off base and I'm learning a bunch from you. And I keep, uh, I, I frequently can kind of nudge in my world of sales and say, yeah, I got it. But you're coming from a different angle and it is a little bit new for me. Uh, so, we, you know, we're talking about a down market. How how does your how does how does your strategy change in a down market? You know, if we're going to position ourselves properly, um, mm-hmm. how does that change? 
So to your point around pain and problem, I think it's it's an understanding of the reality that your particular upstream of all of this is your customer, right? You need right. to have clarity around who you're who you're going after, why you're going after them, and how you're uniquely in a position to help them solve a problem. And the problems that those people are facing are going to change in a market like this. So your message needs to change with that problem. And, and that's really what it comes down to is understanding what that change is for them and messaging to them appropriately. You know, people will, um, you see people moving to figure out how to do more with less. You figure, you see people, you know, the, you could rattle off all, all the different ways in which this is affecting people, but that's the, 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 the most, uh, imp- upstream part of it all. Okay. So uh, I, I'm, I haven't exactly been batting a thousand with you, but if I play it back and say that um, we, we, you know, one size doesn't fit all, and we have to, we have to be willing to to change and 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 um, conform, you know, to to as I say, sort of play the play the ball where it lies in golf. Um, mm. and not just get stuck in our ways, but be willing to be flexible in a down market. Do I have that right, Brandon? I agree. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, I agree. Folks, you can't see. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. I'm sweating hard with this guy. Uh, <laughs> no sweating. Uh, no need for sweat. No sweating. Get a little sweat out of me. That, that very rarely happens. I think I may not be feeling well, but no, you, you got some sweat coming out of me. To this. I'm, I'm, I'm not intentionally. I apologize. No. That's okay. <laughs> hey, you want to know something? And you're a podcast host. I think the greatest gift a guest can give is get the host to sweat a little bit. I sometimes yeah. get frustrated when everybody agrees with me. Well, yeah. you're agreeing with some and you're, you're, you're nudging some other stuff and I appreciate it. Um, Where, what do we have if we don't have constructive dialogue, right? That's bingo. how we all push forward. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I got like a question and a half left for you, but right. I, I, I'm looking at you. I'm reading up on you and you write about high impact positioning stories all right first of all tell the audience what that is and then tell me why that's important yeah so again positioning is fundamentally answering the question what are you going to be famous for what are you going to be known for and to go back to that same study by Les and benet it's two gentlemen when they looked at what was most indicative of a brand's success their ability it, it was fame how famous were they as the leader of a given category? And this is true in B2B and it's true in B2C. And the the so what you're trying to do with positioning is say, how am I going to be famous and not famous in a broad sense, like Brad Pitt famous or whatever the cultural reference point is now, but famous to the people that matter to you. You know, like if for me, right, I work with tech brands. So how am I famous to tech brands? Um, what do they know me for? And that's what you're answering with positioning is, yeah, that question. Good. All right. Last question for you. Uh, mentors. I, I, I don't always ask this question, but um, mm. I, it, it, I'm always surprised at the answers that I get. So is there a mentor or two that stands out for you? Because this is, you do have a, a very unique niche and we huh. got your story of how you got in, but is there a mentor or two that, uh, shaped just a little bit for you man 
I don't have a great answer to this question, honestly. Yeah, you I, sweat I, a little bit. Welcome to the party. <laughs> I think, honestly, most of my mentors, maybe this is a sad answer if it's anything, but most of my mentors have come. Um, I'm trying to think of people in person. Actually, one of, one of the clients I'm working with right now is a, ga- a gal named, and I wouldn't call her a mentor, but um, I she's her name is uh, Rose, and she's the founder of this company called uh, Sudozy. And she was a CFO at Uber and a variety of, you know, she, she's got a very impressive background, went to MIT, very, very bright. Anyway, I feel like I'm learning a ton from her and getting uh, pushed in, in new ways. So I, I think that's been really gratifying. Um, but then in terms of mentors, I think I've, I, I've learned just so much from different books and, and things like that over time. I think that's um, some of the biggest sources of you know, mentorship, I'm doing, you know, air quotes here um, that I can think of. All right. Well, I want to, I want to keep the heat on you. So other than the 12 immutable laws of high impact messaging, which everybody's going to go buy and write a review on now. Yes. uh, Give me a book title. Man, I could give you, I could give you tons. I think one of the, 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 the first books that I read that I thought was really interesting is, is a hundred year old book by a guy named Claude Hopkins called scientific advertising which is, it's just, you know, it's, it's a hundred years old, but the principles of it are still relevant. And it teaches you a lot about how you should think about marketing and advertising and psychology and and these sorts of things. Another one that I found really illuminating is Sapiens, which is a more recent book about how people essentially evolved. And it gives you it helps you to contextualize how and why people construct meaning and why society looks the way that it does. And it helps you think about then what you're trying to, you know, all of marketing is trying to create change, right? Somebody's already doing something and you're trying to get sales is the same, right? And you're trying to get them to do something else to make their life better, but you have to overcome this trust gap to get them to get there. And it helps you to understand how people construct meaning and get you thinking about then how you can influence that meaning uh, for what you're doing. Excellent. Good. I appreciate that. Uh, all right. Where can listeners find and, and learn more about you? Yeah. So the podcast is billion dollar tech. You can find that on iTunes, on YouTube, on all the good, uh, we're, we're newly on YouTube. So you can now find it there. Um, Spotify, etc. My website is brendandell.com where you can sign up for the newsletter, um, to get those podcasts directly. And then the book, uh, 12 Meetable Laws is, um, you know, Amazon, everywhere books are are sold. Perfect. And uh, because that name, Brendan, can be spelled a few different ways, that's B-R-E-N-D-A-N-D-E-L-L, Brendan Dell, one word. Yeah, perfect. Thank com. you. No worries. Yeah. Well, listen, I've enjoyed it. I need to take a shower, but I've enjoyed it. <laughs> I, uh, I hope not. It's, a, it's been a pleasure. I've, I, I've really enjoyed it. No, you got to get to know me. Once I get my teeth into something, I don't let it go. So don't worry <laughs> about it. Uh, well, listen, I, I appreciate you being on the show. I really, uh, I have to tell you, I, uh, I'm surprised at how much I learned from you because I thought coming into That's this, kind. well, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I've got a pretty good fix on this. And now, my instincts were off in a bunch of different areas. And um, that's why I like getting guests like you on the show. Uh, that's what it's about, podcaster to podcaster. So uh, I'm grateful totally. and really think you did a great job. Really grateful you were on the show. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been great. Well, we'll do it again as well as we can next time, everyone. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>
Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Outcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more information on this show and Rob at Jollis.com. <laughs>